，享受工作，乐生活。就算不在办公室，也能从容应对线上会议。HP Dragonfly 透过专业的 HP Presence 设计，内建降噪及会议快速键，搭配清晰的 Ben and Offson 音效，增强音讯及视讯功能。HP Dragonfly 顶级商务笔电，采用 Windows 11专业版。让您在会议中享有最佳的视觉和听觉品质。With the weakening of the northeast monsoon, high temperatures on Sunday reached 28 degrees in the north and northeast, and 30 degrees in the central and southern regions. The warm and dry weather will last till Tuesday. Starting Tuesday night, another wave of the northeast monsoon will usher in cold air, lowering the mercury. Let's hear from the Central Weather Bureau. 这两个时间点可能会是在星期四的这个清晨。The CWB says temperatures will begin to rise on Thursday, but the rise will be gradual, reaching only 23 degrees on Saturday. Taiwan is facing an aging population and declining birth rate, but inflexible work environments and a lack of family-friendly facilities in public places discourage many would-be parents. Some companies have taken matters into their own hands, offering on-site daycare. And flexible work hours to help employees with kids. Join us as we hear from parents on what challenges they face and the company policies that have helped them. Here's our Sunday special report. A mum and dad. Two boys, four girls, and three cats. Everyday life is bustling with activity for this family. The family's four-year-old daughter takes her younger sister in her arms, feeding her a bottle of warm milk. <laughs> After the youngest one is fed, the family gets ready to head out. <laughs> 好。But as you can see, it doesn't offer much more space than a regular parking spot. 
The rear tailgate doors of large vehicles like this are quite long and can be obstructed when cars are parked close by. When there's a car behind us like this, it can be hard to unload our bags. This is not the only challenge the family faces when they go for an outing. Everyone faces bathroom needs when outdoors, and this can be especially challenging for young children. However, family restrooms don't always meet family needs. It also happens quite often that we can't find a family washroom. When we do find a family washroom, it's often not that large. For example, if I take two of my girls in there to use the washroom, it gets somewhat crowded. Family washrooms are hard to come by and often too small. Their scarcity relative to the number of regular restrooms can pose real problems. For dads who can only find men's facilities and can't find a family washroom, this may mean taking daughters into the men's restroom and passing by numerous men using the urinal on the way to a stall. This can be a problem. For example, our oldest girl is seven years old. She already knows the difference between men and women, so she covers her eyes when she goes into the men's restroom. If we want both men and women to be involved in raising children, then why are all the diaper-changing stations in the women's washrooms? Then there is the issue of men's use of breastfeeding rooms. If a dad is bottle-feeding his child, why can't he go into the breastfeeding room? By comparing access to these facilities, it becomes apparent what society expects of families. It's everyone's habit to think of child-rearing as something that moms do. In the process of improving facilities, we cannot ignore the social environment. Public spaces can be improved to make them more family-friendly. I see lots of people post online complaining about kids marking up restaurant menus or being really loud, and the people saying the parents of those kids shouldn't have children. I feel like those people have no sympathy for others. My approach would be to tell the kids, this is a public area, you can't run all over the place, you can't be fighting and causing a ruckus. We would talk to them. So, our own kids don't normally cause those types of situations. I feel that children are individuals, and while they are in the process of growing up, they need understanding from others. Family friendliness can start in the parents' workplaces. Children listen as a child care worker reads them a story. This is a daycare set up inside of a telecommunications company, which looks after employees' children while they are at work. We have our classroom divided into learning areas. There's an aptitude development area, a learning blocks area, and a mathematics area. We also have an arts and crafts area and a reading area. 
We bring the kids into each area and let them explore and learn. The clock hits 5 p.m. and Huang Honglin is finished with work for the day, but he's not in a rush. Unlike other parents who may need to hurry off somewhere to pick up their children, Huang arrives at the company's daycare in less than five minutes. My company gives parents of children three and under the flexibility to get off work an hour early. My office is upstairs, so my son knows that daddy is working upstairs in the building. This means that going to daycare isn't so stressful for him. This telecommunications company provides 16 daycare classes at nine daycare centers across all six of Taiwan's special municipalities. It even allows employees with children under three the flexibility to leave work early. Since we put the program in place, we have had positive feedback. Parents with young children have to wake up to bottle feed them in the middle of the night, so that means they may not get enough sleep. By letting them leave work one hour early, they can make up for that and get a better night's sleep. It also means they can avoid rush hour traffic. Employees feel that this reduces their physical and mental stress. When workers have peace of mind, productivity goes up. With the declining birth rate, a lot of universities are already having trouble with student recruitment. Corporations will be the next to feel the impact, and they will have trouble recruiting talented people. If we want to ensure there are enough people in the labor market, we need to start creating more flexible work environments. When workplaces offer flexible daycare solutions, couples may be motivated to have their first or even second child. Because of the pandemic, over the past two years, people have become more aware of this issue. That is, for example, in the past, your child might be sick with an enterovirus and has to take a week off school. But now with COVID, this happens all the time. The problem of having to find someone suddenly to care for your child is not something that money can solve. Currently, the rules are that when you take parental leave, you must take six months straight. But could that half year be broken up into smaller breaks instead? That way, parents would be able to use this leave over a longer period instead of at once. Unexpected things come up all the time when you are raising a child. I have a colleague in my office who may be having a baby at the end of the year, and another colleague who is planning to conceive. I feel that the company's daycare benefits were a big motivating factor for them. Taiwan is facing an aging population and a declining birth rate. But with the right support from society, couples may be more willing to take the leap and have children of their own.
Markets were shaken up recently when Apple supplier Honghai recruited a former top TSMC executive, Jiang Shangyi. The former TSMC co-chief operating officer is now a semiconductor chief strategic officer at Honghai. During Saturday's poll, reporters bombarded Honghai founder Terry Goh with questions. Go says that his company intends to focus on automotive and technology industries and that its products will be different from those of TSMC. Go also talked about the recent massive protests at his company's Zhengzhou plant in China for the first time. He said Honghai chair Yang Lu was now in charge, but Go would do his best to help out if he could. In late October, a large number of employees quit at the plant and returned home owing to a COVID outbreak. The plant offered high wages to attract hourly workers, and job seekers flocked there from all over China. However, owing to misunderstanding caused by technical errors in explaining the company's subsidies policies, along with inadequate COVID prevention measures and substandard board and lodging, newly recruited workers staged enormous protests for two days, starting on the evening of November 22nd. The weekend's elections also shone a spotlight on the centrist Taiwan People's Party, founded by Taipei Mayor Ke Wenzhe. The TPP captured Xinju City as well as winning 14 city council seats across the nation. There's now lots of speculation about whether Ke, the party's chairman, will make a bid for the presidency. He only says that he is regrouping. Political analyst Kang Renjun reckons Ke is finding the election results very encouraging, but that he will need to cooperate with other political forces if he wants to go for the country's top job. Let's hear from Kang. The results were extremely encouraging for the entire TPP. They verify that the party does have its own so-called support base. I think once Ku Wenzhou gets over this period of keeping a low profile, what he will need to think about is that if he wants to run in 2024, he must consider whether there is room for cooperation with other political parties. He must also think about whether the TPP itself has the necessary means to go and negotiate with other parties. In addition to Saturday's wins, the TPP has five lawmakers in the legislative Yuan. Although Ke has said he will return to practicing medicine at National Taiwan University Hospital after stepping down as mayor, Many believe that he will continue to play a role in his creation of a third political force to restrain the moves of both pro-independence and China-friendly forces. As for the DPP, a scholar says the thrashing the ruling party received in Saturday's elections was a result of centrist voters failing to turn out at the polling stations because they were turned off by negative campaigning. The election saw the DPP banished from the nation's northern and central regions entirely after it lost the mayoral seats of Jilong, Taoyuan and Xinju. Now the DPP only controls its traditional strongholds in the south. President Tsai Ing-wen has resigned as chair of the DPP to take responsibility for the sweeping defeats. The election results have also raised new questions about the DPP's future presidential candidate. The outgoing mayor of Taoyuan, Zheng Wen-chan, was originally a presidential favorite, 
but his chances seem greatly diminished now that his city has lost to the KMT. As always, Vice President Lai Qingde is still seen as the politician that is most likely to be on the presidential ticket in 2024. President Tsai Ing-wen announced she had resigned as party chair to take responsibility for the DPP's thrashing in the municipal elections. The election results were not as expected. We accept the election results with humility. We were unable to break through the existing local political structures. This shows our cultivation at the local level still falls far short of the expectations of the people. We also did not raise enough local talent. Given the amount of negative campaigning in this year's elections and the hatred, many centrist voters were unwilling to vote in this kind of election and they felt disinterested. The DPP's fundamental base at the local level is smaller than that of the KMT to begin with. This scholar thinks that the KMT was able to safeguard its voter base, whereas the DPP from the beginning allowed the election's main focus to veer towards negative campaigning. In the end, DPP politicians made a last-ditch effort of telling voters that a vote for the DPP is a vote against China and to protect Taiwan, but this failed to gain momentum. I don't think playing the card of resisting China to protect Taiwan is ineffective. I think with local elections, everyone cares more about policies concerning people's livelihoods. This is understandable. Following the DPP's disastrous defeat, ideas within the party about who should run on its 2024 presidential ticket may change. Taoyuan Mayor Zheng Wen-san was originally regarded as a strong presidential contender in 2024. But now that his party has lost Taoyuan, his prestige has plummeted. Conversely, Kaohsiung Mayor Chen Chi-mai soared to victory. As for Vice President Lai Ching-de, he had been stumping for candidates all over the country. He may now need to adjust his approach if he wants to go for Taiwan's top job. I think this is a little premature. The DPP first needs to look at who will be the party's chair next. This is extremely important. Judging from the election results, it is true that Chen Qimai's popularity has increased a lot. Chen Qimai may run for party chair, but I think he needs to be extremely cautious when it comes to aiming for the 2024 ticket. As the dust settles on the election, the party's star politicians are looking at upcoming turns in their political futures. Whether they go up or down, it will take some time before the DPP's presidential candidate emerges. In the wake of Saturday's municipal elections, the big winner, the KMT, is now looking ahead to the next big one, the presidential election of 2024. Party heavyweights, including the re-elected new Taipei mayor Ho Youyi, party chair Eric Chu, former Kaohsiung mayor Han Guoyu, and media personality Zhao Shaokang are all seen as possible contenders. However, a political analyst thinks the KMT's victory this time is mainly due to the individual characteristics of the candidates themselves. As for the politicians who stumped for them, they shouldn't get too much credit. In the wake of the local elections, the KMT took 13 of the nation's 21 cities and counties. Of the six special municipalities, 
Four were taken by the KMT, with Taipei City and Taoyuan recaptured from the DPP. Party Chairman Eric Chu, the self-proclaimed head coach of the KMT, has proved himself to his party. As the party chairman, as the head coach, I've always insisted that the KMT walk its own path and nominate the right people. By being incorruptible and selfless, the KMT will have a chance to win in 2024. 2024 is when the next presidential election will take place. But who in the KMT will be gunning for the presidency? The Republic of China is our country. Taiwan, this home of ours, should not be divided by ethnicity or political factions within the party or by political hues. Ho received more than 1.1 million votes on Saturday. In his victory speech, the name Republic of China was uttered numerous times. Observers say he is setting his sights beyond his new Taipei jurisdiction. Another possible contender is Zhao Shaokang, a media personality and former politician, who put out a news release as soon as the election results came out pointing out that of the 83 KMT city councillor candidates, 73 got elected, an 87.9% win, with every Taipei candidate elected. Former Kaohsiung Mayor Hang Guoyu also took to social media to thank all the candidates who allowed him to help out. Indeed, of the 32 candidates he stumped for, 30 were elected. It appears that those gunning for 2024 are now jockeying for this position. 这次现市长选举国民党大胜跟候选人本身的特质是比较有关系啦。The KMT's big win in the municipal elections is mainly due to the individual characteristics of the candidates themselves. As for the politicians who stumped for them, they shouldn't get too much credit. Zhao Shaokang's blue campaign has too much hatred. Han Guoyu, to put it bluntly, is a has-been. Hou Youyi has a big problem. In order for him to run for president, he only has three months to be mayor of New Taipei. It would be a bit like a replay of Han, so in the end, Eric Chu looks to be the one to run. It is reported from within the KMT that the party will begin its presidential nomination process after the Lunar New Year, and that the whole process will wrap up within 100 days. A tempest is likely to be brewing within the teapot of the victorious KMT.